Otherwise, open to letter of 1 Timothy, and we'll keep marching along here in chapter 4. As you open, I'll maybe get us thinking about our topic this morning, uh, godliness or being godly. Just a show of hands, who thinks that they know what that means, like godliness? You know what that, I won't ask you to define it, but if you're confident, even like a little bit, that you might know what godliness means. All right, we're all, I'm, glad we're ta- I'm glad we're talking about this then. Uh, maybe this will help you. What, you know, maybe you think about this. Maybe you picture somebody, you would say, oh, this person's godly. They, you know, they act like a certain way, really good. Um, you might think of somebody like that, somebody who, I don't know, like sits in the front. Like, are these the godly people or the people who sing in the choir? Like, the choir people must be, you know, godly. Maybe you, like, picture that person that's, like, you know, always, like, hands folded and, like, head tilt, you know, and, like, puppy dog, innocent eyes. Like, is that a godly person? What do you picture? What what do you think about when you hear that word, Godly or godliness, what is that? Well, the dictionary can be helpful. Here's, here's what Webster says. Godliness is being devoutly religious. Doesn't, doesn't help us much. Devoutly religious. So I would say it's a, someone who's like genuinely and seriously committed to their faith. They're committed to their belief about God. That's somebody who's, who's godly. Maybe the Bible can help us. Here's what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Peter's talking about anticipating Jesus' return, and he says this about how believers are to be waiting. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, then he says, like, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day. So that deep commitment to God, it should show up, and that's what Peter is saying, in the the believer's life, in the way that you live. We're to be living in holiness and in godliness. And so I think Peter is really helpful. He's helping us understand that godliness is, is action, what I believe about God is going to show up in action and the way I live. So, godliness then is going to show up in the stuff that you read or don't read. Godliness is going to show up in the thoughts that you have. It's going to maybe show up in the stuff that you laugh at. It's going to show up in the things that you complain about. Maybe it'll show up in your vocabulary. I think it's going to, you know, certainly show up in those moments when no one's around, no one's looking. And that's just a small sample to get you thinking about your godliness or, or maybe your lack of godliness. Godliness is about action. It's about obedience towards God. And I would argue that your godliness must flow from the 
the right desire. Obedience without the right motivation or the right desire or the right heart, well, that can't be godliness. It's just moralism. It's just doing right to look good and look right and stay out of trouble. It's nothing to do, no concern for God, nothing to do with God at all. That can't be godliness. Godliness, then, it has to be obedience to God that flows from a love for God. My action is motivated by my love for God. So it's not just obedience with no purpose or obedience to make yourself feel better or to look good in front of your parents or your friends. And it certainly isn't obedience to try to earn something from God, to try to earn some double blessing or extra favor from God. No, it's obedience, again, that's motivated by love for God. It's motivated by your awe for who God is and what he's done in your life if you're a believer. It's a love for Christ, and we, we celebrate this this time of year because Because he came and he laid down his life to to pay the debt of your sin. And he gave his life to set you free from that sin. So a Christian believes that. And a Christian loves Jesus for that. And that love leads to living a certain way. It leads to this thing called godliness. A godly junior higher then, she's going to try hard to obey God tomorrow during school. But she does that because she loves Christ. And a godly junior higher, he's going to try hard to obey the Lord on Tuesday night when mom and dad are gone at a Christmas party and you're home alone. But you do that, he does that because He loves Christ. Those two things are are, are so important. A godly person is someone who loves God first and whose love influences the way they fight to be obedient to the word of God, to be a doer of this book, this Bible. The godly, they want to know the word, they want to live the word, and, and they do that out of love for God. When it comes to godliness, you need to know that your godliness is something that God cares about very much. Something that he absolutely wants for you if you're a believer. He cares about it enough to send his son not only to die for you, but to also help you grow in godliness. That's the mystery of godliness that Paul is talking about right at the end of 1 Timothy chapter 3. This mystery of godliness, it's explained, it's unpacked. We understand it better in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. We get this mystery of godliness. He came to save you and call you to a life of following him. To call you to a life that knows him and loves him 
and also obeys him. It's, it's Jesus then, Paul's helping us understand, who works in your life to help you and strengthen you and empower you to live this godly life. So your love and your affection for Jesus coupled with his work in your life are what help you to grow in godliness. You have to have both. You can't do it on your own, and you're not going to do it without a genuine love for the Lord. We have to have both. Both those things are necessary. And with that, we can know that, that godliness is good, and we know that it's something that God wants for us. We're, know, we're to know that we're supposed to be like striving after this godliness. We know we need faith, and we know we need help. But what do we do next? What's the right approach to godliness? Is it just do whatever I feel like? Is it like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing? Is it up to me? What is it? Well, of course, God's Word is sufficient to help us answer those questions, and it's what we're going to see in our next section here of chapter 4. Our big idea is this. Godliness is exclusively connected to the Word of God. Godliness is exclusively connected to the Word of God. In, In other words, we grow in godliness, and that that only happens with the help of God's word. Our growth in godliness only happens if we're in this book. If you haven't opened your Bibles already, I'd encourage you to find chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, and we're going to start in verse 6. Actually, let's jump back up to verse 1, maybe grab a little context here. Verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you've followed have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Well, last week we we followed along with, with Paul's letter as he went after that dangerous and that ungodly teaching that was affecting this church here in Ephesus, those ungodly pastors, those false teachers. They were trying to teach the church 
that they would earn God's favor with staying away from certain foods and that they'd be more godly if they didn't get married. And it's quite possible that they were also teaching that those were things that believers like must do as if this was, you know, a command that God had given. They'd have to do those things in order to ensure their salvation. So Paul just exposes that teaching that's so wrong, helps us understand that in God's word, we know all food and of course marriage, uh, both of those are things that were declared good by God. So godliness, it can't come from rejecting God's goodness. I think Paul was furious that the church would be led to such a belief uh, that they would pursue that, like th- this would somehow lead them to being genuinely godly. So I think to bring this into balance, Paul gives us these verses here in 6 to 10. Because the danger is that these believers would now start to think, oh, well, if that's the case, then maybe the answer is like, you know, just obviously that there's no need for any discipline. Maybe that's the, that, that must obviously then be what you mean, Paul. Like, it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how we live. We can just do whatever we want, and that's cool. And Paul really wants to bring balance to this. And so what does Paul say next? How should they and we pursue growing in godliness? If physical growth is affected by diet and exercise, then what about the spiritual? What's the spiritual diet? What's the spiritual exercises we should be doing? And we'll just kind of let those questions serve as our outline, okay? Number one, we'll just call it this, eating for godliness. And I, I know that sounds weird. Just hang with me here. Eating for godliness. With our physical health, maybe you've heard these. We have some sayings that your mom probably has said to you before, but like garbage in, garbage out. Or, you know, you are what you eat, you know, and those are you know, pretty much true, although you may not feel the effects of those yet. I'll just say this, being in junior high is awesome. Like you get to do whatever you want with no consequences when it comes to diet. Um, I think I ate a bag of Doritos every day after school when I was in junior high. Like it's awesome. So enjoy it. It doesn't last forever. But here's the thing. You got to be careful what you eat. You can't just eat whatever you want your whole life, especially if you're trying to get into shape, you know, physically. You know, you got to eat right to grow all this stuff, you know, with the proteins, the carbs, all, it all matters. Okay. Same is true for you spiritually. It matters. It, it, it's, you got to be careful what you eat. Reject that bad junk food and you got to eat the good stuff instead. So Paul was saying, look, don't listen to these false teachers and their spiritual junk food. You don't need that. That's not going to help you. You need, verse 6, to be trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine. The word of God is meant to be your diet. Verse 6 there, that word train, it's actually nourish. Paul wanted 
Timothy to be training himself, to be nourishing himself on the right spiritual food. He needed the words of the faith. He needed the the words of the good doctrine. And the same is true for you, and it's true for me. You need to be nourishing yourself in the right stuff. You know, when it comes to the physical training, it's it's not a one-time thing, is it? You don't just go lift weights and come home one time and expect massive improvements. You don't eat right for like one day and then expect the next day to like, you know, well, we probably do actually expect that, but we shouldn't. It's not a one-time thing. It takes time for that to to for that work to kick in. This spiritual training is the same way. This spiritual eating, Paul helps us understand it's meant to be ongoing. It's meant to be continuous. It's feeding and eating on and taking in God's word again and again and again and again. You've got to eat right spiritually every single day. The content of the gospel and the teachings of scripture. And Paul's saying to Timothy, look, a good diet's going to make a good pastor. That's going to make you a good servant a good worker in the church. And I I would just help us understand, it doesn't matter where you fit into the church, into the body of Christ. If that's true for a pastor, that's going to be true for everyone. The right diet is going to be important for every single person. And that diet is a biblical diet. A Bible diet is essential to godliness. That's what we're to be eating, that's eating for godliness. And what about the exercise? What are we supposed to be doing? Number two, exercising for godliness. Look at verse seven. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, train here in verse seven is a different word than verse six. This one is about the gym. Uh, It's like gymnasium. It's really close to that. So exercise and athletics and all that stuff's in there. Paul's saying, don't work out doing the wrong things. You got to train in the right things. And of course, it's, it's train hard. Train is meant to make you think of the gym and the smell and the sweat. And it's gross, totally. But we get it. We understand that that smell is attached to the hard work. Put in the work. Hard effort and work. Grueling work. Why? For the purpose of godliness. You can't grow sitting on the couch doing nothing. You have to work spiritually. Push hard. Spiritually work hard. Get to that point of exhaustion. Get to that point where you're like, I'm, I'm done. I got nothing left. And then do one more sprint, one more rep, but spiritually speaking. And, and why? Be- because you know it pays off. You're training for the goal at hand. And there's a, a principle here that even in junior high, we know it's true. I have to work hard for whatever goal I have set. Whatever thing I'm trying to achieve, I, I have to put in the work to get it. Maybe it is muscles. Maybe it's music. Either way, I have to work hard to accomplish 
my goal. I have to put in the work, hours and hours and hours and hours of training. And those hours are not in vain. We, we know that. They lead you closer to your goal. And anyone who's worked hard to get what they want, they know that's true. We don't hesitate with the physical stuff to work hard and, and train hard. We, we know the requirements for achievement. You know you have to put in the training. But when it comes to spiritual goals and spiritual growth and spiritual health, what do we do? We, we just drag our feet. We don't do the training. And you may be wondering, well, well, what is the training? What am I supposed to do? What's the workout plan? What's the practice routine look like here? Training for godliness in the context here, it refers to training ourselves in and by the scriptures. Paul's making it just so simplified. Our diet, it's this. Our exercise, it's this. It's the Bible. It's God's word. No surprise there. We become godly by spending time in God's word, reading it and studying it and and trying hard to understand it and applying it and then reading it again and understanding it better and applying it even better. And we're memorizing it and we're talking about it and we're sharing it with friends. No matter our schedules, no matter our busyness, we're to constantly be working through the Bible, constantly training ourselves in God's word. And this all takes discipline. It all takes time controlling our behavior, making sure that no matter what, God's word isn't put off. It isn't delayed. We don't make excuses to do it later or tomorrow or next week. It takes discipline to train that way, just like it does with physical stuff. With discipline, we have to remember that the goal is not gaining favor with God. And to kind of go back to what we talked about at the very beginning, the heart has to be kept in check. That we're not doing this stuff, we're not disciplining for godliness in a way that becomes a little more self-centered, self-focused. Discipline can so easily blur into legalism. All of a sudden now my time in the word becomes more about me and less about God. Now all of a sudden my obedience to the word becomes more about me and less about my love for the Lord, my love for Christ. Begin to be self-centered, living God's word becomes like I'm trying to earn some favor, like extra allowance from God. Maybe if I'll do this, maybe he'll... I don't know, be extra nice to me. or I don't know, we just do weird stuff. Listen, you're not earning anything when it comes to godliness. It's, it's trying hard to love the Lord and obey his word out of that love for him. That's godliness. Remember, it's a hard attitude that says, I want to do this. I want to obey. 
because I love Jesus. It's a joy for me to do this, a joy to obey him. I genuinely just want to know him better. I genuinely just want to understand his word better. That's the attitude that we need on the daily. To the one who says, look, I just have too much to do as I think about my time. I have too many other interests. I just, all my minutes are used up. I don't have time for this. I'm actually, you know, trying to bench 225 or master the piano or trying to really just get good grades. And I just don't have a spare second. It's interesting what Paul says here next. He says to the unmotivated in verse 8, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Let's do point number three, motivation for godliness. Just like there are benefits for your physical stuff, physical health or whatever physical pursuit you're chasing, if you watch what you eat and exercise, you know, those benefits, they are there and there are some, but Paul's helping us understand those benefits don't last forever. They are limited. You can't keep your abs your whole life. Eventually, you can't play that instrument the way that you wanted to. The physical training is good. It has benefit, but it has a limit. It's only good for so much. It's only good for so long. Eventually, the day will come when you say, I can no longer do this. Training for godliness, however, notice it has immeasurable benefits. What does verse 8 say? Both this life and the life to come. In every area of your life, your godliness is a huge benefit to you. It makes you a better son or a better daughter. It'll make you a better student. Your godliness will make you a better athlete. It'll make you a better friend, and one day it'll make you a better spouse. It'll make you a better parent, a better worker, or maybe a better boss. You will be a better child in the kingdom of God, and you'll be a better servant in the household of God. Godliness has immediate benefits, but that's only the beginning. Godliness also has value for eternity. There will be benefits in the life to come. There are benefits for the Christian and the eternal life that's theirs. The godliness that you have now, that's only going to continue to grow in the future. The way that you love the Lord, the way that you you honor Him, what's begun here, that's just only going to get better. That's what Paul's saying. Our service to God here and now will only grow into an even... uh, It's honestly hard to even explain or describe what that might be like. But it's going to grow and it's going to improve and it's going to get so much better. And I love this motivation. This is God's way of letting you know something absolutely critical. He's helping us with some huge insight here into what's really important in life. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Those other interests, they are not bad. There's nothing wrong with those. They're not a waste 
of time, but you just need to know this. Godliness is far more important than being able to run a five-minute mile. That seems too fast. I don't know if that's right or not. A fast mile. Godliness is so much more important. That's what God is saying in his word here. It's, it's way more important than your music career or your dream of playing for the Dodgers, whatever. Like It's so much more important than those. All of those are awesome goals. You can be a, a great Christian and a believer and pursue those goals, but not to the sacrifice of your pursuit of godliness. Those Those goals are limited. Godliness is not. If you're going to give your time to the pursuit of something, here's the motivation. Godliness, it should be non-negotiable. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-duh because it has limitless benefit for you. And to make sure we don't miss it, Paul does his infamous sort of exclamation mark mic drop here in verse 9, the saying's trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That's his way of just saying, don't miss this. He's done that before. He'll, He'll drop that again. It's just something that we can't miss. It's trustworthy. It's something we should have and own and know. It's, it's just, it's something that should be on the tip of our tongues all the time. It's something that should just be in the front part of our brains like every day. Godliness is a value in every single way. It holds promise for me today and promise for me tomorrow. I've got that. I own that. That's the motto. That's the mantra that I need for my spiritual life. I don't need anything else. I don't need Red Bulls, you know, give you wings. I don't need Nikes, just do it. I need this right here. Godliness is of value in every way, always, period. And with that, I think you understand what Paul says next. For to this end, we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who's the savior of all people, but especially of those who believe. Everyone one day will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what Philippians chapter two says. Everyone one day will know Jesus is real and he is the Savior, but it's only those believers, those Christians, whose hope is not going to be disappointed, whose work and effort is not going to be in vain. And Paul says, keep striving and toiling and training and working. And to those who do, well, you won't be let down. You won't be disappointed today, and you certainly won't be disappointed the day that you stand before Christ. Not today, not, not ever. Godliness, if you're a believer, then you should want it. And if, if you do and you, you know you should, here's the whole point. You, you gotta work hard for it. And, and godliness is exclusively connected to the word of God. It's not a mystery. It's not up to you. It's not up to me. 
If you want to grow in godliness, it takes hard work, and the work is to be done right here. And if you'll do that, if you'll make this book your diet and your exercise, God, through Paul's letter here, says something so helpful, so encouraging. And I want you to write this down. If you do that, you'll never, ever be disappointed. Father, thank you for our time this morning. This promise, it's clear. Lord, we'll never regret growing in godliness. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to take this truth and just, Father, that it would change our lives, that it would change our hearts. Young teens in here this morning, Father, that don't, that don't know you, that aren't saved, I pray that even a message like this would be used to open their eyes and their heart to their need for you. Lord, that, they, that they're chasing things in this world and they might have some benefit, but not even close to the benefit you offer in godliness. Father, to the young believers in the room and those who genuinely love you and are trying to follow you would, you, would you help them to see it's not complicated. It's hard work, but it's not complicated. We just need to be in your word. Lord, give us that desire. Give us that motivation. Lord, encourage us with the hope that we have in you that one day we will never, ever be disappointed. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.